podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 5th of July, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, use your Now TV outside the UK if Brexit is stopping you from doing so. Also keeps your data safe. It's LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, we had European Championship quarterfinals over the weekend. Started off Spain versus Switzerland. Game ended 1-1, went to penalties. Zakaria own goal, deflecting in a Jordi Alba shot and put Spain one up. Spain had, as predicted, dominated possession, dominated chances, but the Swiss hung on. They worked their way back into the game. Jordan Shakiri made it 1-1 on 68. Remo Freuler was sent off on 77. A little bit controversial at the time, but I think when you look back at it, it's an absolute certainty of a red card. It's a dangerous tackle. It is two-footed. I know I should be defending that sort of thing, but there's no real defense for this. Off he goes, and rightly so. From there, 10 against Spain, you're going to be backs to the wall, defending everything. Unfortunately for the Swiss, that meant they had to basically take off all their attacking players and get a little bit more defensive. They did manage to drag the game two penalties, but unfortunately in the penalty shootout, they just couldn't convert. Uh, Shar, Akanji and Vargas all missed. Now Busquets hit the post and Rodri has hit, had his shot saved. But Spain still went through 3-1 on penalties. They should have won the game in extra time, to be fair. Moreno missed three really good opportunities, doing a very good impression of Alvaro Morata. But Spain through to the quarterfinals, where they will face Italy, who overcame Belgium 2-1. Italy were brilliant in the first half. Barella put them one up on 31, skipped past two defenders, banged it in the far corner. Insigne carried the ball about 25, 30 yards before bending a shot into the top corner past Courtois from about 25 yards. A brilliant goal, one of the contenders for goal of the tournament. They should have been three up at that point. Federico Chiesa missed a great chance in between the two goals. Romelu Lukaku scored a penalty in stoppage time at the end of the first half. Jeremy Doku, the first time he really ran at Di Lorenzo, skinned him and won a penalty. Doku would grow into the game from there. But unfortunately for him, other members of that Belgian team, notably Kevin De Bruyne and Axel Witzel, clearly not 100% fit, struggled to really impact the game in the second half. De Bruyne had been brilliant in the first half. Some of his inventive passing was sensational. 
Lukaku looked like he was going to have a really profitable day against Chiellini and Bonucci. But because they're great defenders, because they have that experience, and because they know him, they've played against him a bunch in the last couple of seasons. Over time, they figured it out. They realized what they had to do to minimize the threat of Lukaku. He gets the penalty, but that was really it. He didn't have much of a say in the second half of this game. Second half was a bit of a a downturn in terms of the high-quality action. Still an interesting game, but I thought Roberto Martinez, very, very poor management from him, only made three substitutions, and one of them he only made because Nasser Chadley, who he brought on inexplicably, got injured within a couple of minutes and had to go back off. He left Yannick Carrasco sitting on the bench. He's been quite good in these Euros. He left Leandro Trossard on the bench. He's been quite good. In the last 10 minutes, when they're desperate for a goal, I know they're not great options. I'm the first to say they're not great options. But he still had Benteke and Batshuayi on the bench. He didn't bring either of them on. He brought on Dries Mertens and Nasser Chadley. And then when Chadley got injured, he brought on Dennis Price. He brought on a winger. And then when that winger got hurt, he brought on a centre midfielder. Roberto Martinez's management of this game was poor. On the flip side, I I thought it was an impressive showing from Mancini again. Now, a big blow for Italy. Spinozola goes off late. It turns out it's a torn Achilles. Obviously done for the tournament. Potentially done for all of next season. Now, some people have said, oh, he could be back in six months. I suppose it depends on the grade of the tear. But we've seen players come back quickly from torn Achilles. And they're not normally themselves for quite a while. It does normally take a year to 18 months to get back up to full speed. So it's a shame for him because he was having a great Euros. You would hope that he would have took that confidence in the next season and that uh, Jose Mourinho would have made him a big part of what he's going to build at Roma or going to try to build at Roma. But unfortunately now, he will have to do it without uh, Spinozola and Italy if they're to win this competition. will also have to do it without him. Their options in reserve is the main options, Emerson Palmieri, who's much more a wing back than a winger. But in this system, because of how high Spinozola has played, that might suit. Palmieri, though, hasn't played a lot of football. He's third choice at Chelsea. I thought it was weird that he was in the squad to begin with. He actually played more as a left sided centre back in Thomas Tuchel's back three than he did as a wing back. Or a fullback all last season. So that's a big blow. But I still think they're the strongest team in the competition. They've got the best midfield. Their attack functions the best. And they have the depth. They've got Barella, Jorginho and Verratti as starting midfielders. And then you've got Pizzina who's in form. Locatelli who's in form. And Cristante who had a pretty good season for Roma. Though I'm not a huge fan. He did have a good season for Roma. Up front... Chiesa came in for Berardi in this game, so you still have the Berardi option. Immobile obviously starts to the middle, but you do have Bellotti. And then with Insigne in this form, he's very difficult to stop. But you do have Bernadeschi. Getting Cialini back was massive. That's their captain and their leader. He's been a world-class defender. He's not quite that anymore, but he still knows how to defend. Still reads the game better than anybody. And he's happy to take on those physical man-marking duties and allow Benucci to function more as a sweeper type 
And that works well for that partnership. So for the Italians, on they move. They'll play Spain. I'd make them favourites early on for that one. That'll be an interesting game on Tuesday. On to Saturday, Denmark 2, the Czech Republic 1. Again, first half, the Danes, tremendous. Delaney put them one up on five minutes. He should have added a second, made a good run into the box. The ball bobbled up and hit him in the knee, couldn't get his foot up to it. Kasper Dahlberg would make it 2-0 make it on 42. Good move down the left. Vestergaard played in Joachim Mal. Brilliant cross with the outside of his foot. He made it look quite easy. And it, for considering where play had been 10 seconds beforehand, it was a surprisingly easy chance for Dahlberg. But it's a, it's a lovely controlled cushion finished from that ball with the outside of the foot by Mal. 2-0 absolutely fair representative of the half of football that we'd watched. Denmark had been by far the better team. In the second half, though, the Czechs came out and they started lively and Patrick Schick got them a goal back on 49. Right-footed half volley. Nice tidy finish. His fifth goal of the competition draws him level with Cristiano. Now, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently if the two players have the same amount of goals, the golden boot goes to the one that has the most assists, which is an absolute pile of nonsense. So Schick doesn't have an assist. Cristiano has at least one. I think it should go on open play goals because Schick has scored open play goals. Cristiano scored a bunch of penalties. Patrick Schick has been, for me, the best goal scorer at this competition. He hasn't been the best striker. I think that's Lukaku. I think he's been... Brilliant. Unfortunately, he's out now. But I do think Schick had a tremendous tournament. Obviously, the goal against Scotland is the one everybody will remember. But overall, I thought his contribution was excellent. I thought the Czechs ran out of steam, ideas and quality in the late stages of the game. Didn't think the manager gave them the best chance to win this game. Didn't think he really went for it at any point. Um, his substitutions weren't as positive as he'd want to see late on, but his hands are a little bit tied. They don't have a whole bunch of quality. They lack pace. They lack real creativity. It's it's very basic football. But look, the Czechs got to the quarterfinals, and that's all that really matters. They did well. They progressed from a tough group in the last round. They beat the Netherlands, which no one expected. So they've overachieved in this competition. They go home with their heads held high. Denmark march on, and Denmark have overcome more than anybody else in this tournament. Overcoming the loss of your best player in horrific circumstances, then being forced to continue that game a couple of hours later, losing that game, then losing the next game, and having to win your final game to, to have any chance of getting through, going out, destroying the Russians, demolished the Russians. They were tremendous. Then they went out and they demolished Wales. And in the first half, I did think they were going to demolish the Czechs. They played at a tempo the Czechs couldn't cope with. Denmark through to the semi-finals. And I think everybody, bar, you know, Swedes, Norwegians, and maybe Finns, will be very, very... Finland, the Finnish people are probably happy, considering they were in that group, and they did beat Denmark. Um, and they were there for that horrendous incident. I think most people will be very, very happy to see Denmark through to the semi-finals. I think it's incredible the team spirit that's come out of this. 
I love how they've changed their shape. I love how they've changed their style. To do that on the fly, I think that's massive credit to Casper Hjumland, the uh, Danish manager. And in that semi-final, they will face England. England overcame Ukraine 4-0. Not much of a game. Harry Kane on four minutes. Brilliant work by Raheem Sterling. Absolutely fantastic work by Raheem Sterling. Lovely dribble. The perfect pass. Kane's finish isn't the best. It's from about six yards, seven yards maybe. Bushkan, the Ukrainian goalkeeper, comes out and appears to make himself as small as possible and angle his body in a bizarre way. Kane's shot hits him in the chest and deflects into the net. If he comes out and makes himself big and stays straight on, he probably saves it. He probably saves it. The first half from there was fairly even. England were clearly the better team, but the Czechs, or the Ukrainians did cause them some problems. But at the start of the second half, Harry Kane dives, wins a free kick. And you can argue all you want, it's a dive. No one touches him, he falls over, grabs his ankle. It's the traditional Harry Kane dive that we see in the Premier League every single week. It's a great ball from Luke Shaw. It's a good header from Maguire. It's 2-0. And at that point, it is basically game over. Four minutes later, Kane makes a three. Header from six yards from another brilliant Luke Shaw cross. Luke Shaw having himself a hell of a tournament, by the way. 3-0, and that's game over. The Czechs, are the, I keep calling them the Czechs. The Ukrainians at that point just give up. And they no longer take part in any sort of meaningful game of football. Jordan Henderson made it four. Uh, another header from a set piece on 63. If you want to see a video for the worst attempt at man marking or zonal marking, I'm really not sure what it was. But the worst attempt at marking from a set piece, just go and watch that fourth England goal. Kane takes a shot. It's a great shot, to be fair. Keeper makes a good save, goes out for a corner. Henderson starts out, he's about 12 to 13 yards from goal. He ambles into this enormous enormous pocket of space, ends up six to seven yards from goal. Nobody comes near him. The ball lands on his head, and he directs it into the net. It's a good header. It's a good cross. The defending is atrocious. After that, there was nothing much in the game. I think both sides had just decided that was enough. The referee didn't even play any stoppage time. That's how much he'd had enough of it. So England go on. This is their first good performance of the competition. It's the first time Harry Kane has been decent. He wasn't great. He wasn't good. It wasn't a masterclass like Henry Winter tried to make out. He was decent. He scored two goals. His all-round play was decent. But England on the whole were good. Raheem Sterling was tremendous. Sancho grew into the game. Mount a little bit on the periphery, but he didn't play the last game because of the the COVID nonsense with Billy Gilmore. I don't think he played the game before that either, did he? I think he was rested for that one. Either way, he was a little bit on the periphery of this game, but you'd expect in the next game, he'll be back up to speed and we'll see more of him. Rice and Phillips, once again, very, very good in midfield. Very, very good. Absolutely justifying Garrett Southgate's faith in them. Phillips might be England's best player in the tournament after Raheem Sterling. Luke Shaw probably has an argument as well. But Phillips has been really, really good. Good decision by Southgate to take them both off early. 
protect them both on yellow cards. If they picked up a yellow, they would have missed the semi-final. But now that resets, so they'll be fine. But both of these played very, very well. England go forward to face Denmark. They will be strong favourites, of course, and the games at Wembley. However, interesting little side note. So far in this competition, England have played Croatia, Scotland, the Czech Republic, Germany and Ukraine. Croatia are ranked 14th in the world. Scotland are 44th. The Czech Republic are 40th. Germany are 12th. Ukraine are 24th. Denmark are 10th. So by FIFA rankings, Denmark will be the best team that England have played. Now, bear in mind, England are 4th. England are the highest ranked team still in the competition. Belgium were number one. I think Brazil are two and France are three. I'd have to check uh, FIFA rankings. Sorry, France are two, Brazil are three. So there's only two teams in Europe ranked higher than England. Um, both of them now out. Italy are ranked sixth. Spain are ranked seventh. Sorry, Spain are ranked sixth. Italy are ranked seventh. So. England, in theory, are the best team left in the competition. They're at home. They have the easier of the semi-finals. As good as Denmark have been and the form that they're in, you would still say Denmark is an easier game than Spain or Italy. England have no excuse. England have no excuse. If they don't reach the final, that's a massive failure. They should win it. At this point, they should win it. At home, best team left in the competition. All of that attacking threat. That game we saw on Saturday, that was very, very reminiscent of England's performances at the 2018 World Cup. Heavy reliance on set pieces and goals within eight yards. Not many shots from distance. Not much progressive passing to the middle of the field. That's by design. Get the ball wide, get it in the box. Either build it into the box or swing it into the box. But get the ball into the box and get it in early. Get it in often. When you get set pieces, make the most of them. The Danes will be difficult to overcome on set pieces. Three big strong centre-backs, two big strong midfielders, bit of height up front. England won't have the normal physical advantage that they've had over other teams against the Danes, but they will have a technical ability uh, advantage. They will have a, a tactical advantage as well because they're at full strength. Everybody's fit. Everybody's available. I would imagine Southgate goals with probably the same team again. I think the only real question mark is Sancho whether or not he sticks with Sancho on the right or brings back Foden, maybe brings back Saka. Thought it was interesting he didn't bring on Grealish at all in this game. That was a strange one to me. But he didn't, and England won regardless. Semi-finals are set, like I said. Tuesday, Italy versus Spain. Wednesday, England versus Denmark. The final to be played on Sunday, also at Wembley. Should be three fun games. Should be three fun games. These have been a very entertaining Euros. The quality of football hasn't been 
of the highest level in all matches. But there's been plenty of drama. Very few dull, dour games. Four or five maybe across the whole competition. Many of them involving England. (laughs) Many of them involving England, if we're honest. But semi-finals are set. I'm looking forward to them. I really am. Um, Copa America also at the semi-final stage. Brazil will play Peru. Uh, I believe that's tonight. And Argentina, Colombia tomorrow night in the other semi. Peru overcame Paraguay in a mental game. Ended 3-3. Red cards galore. Uh, went to penalties. Peru overcame Paraguay. Brazil beat Chile 1-0. If you haven't seen the Gabriel Jesus red card, I implore you to go and find it. It is about as bad a red card. It's like, in terms of, it's well-deserved. It's horrendous. Colombia overcame Uruguay on penalties. A little bit disappointed. I was hoping that Uruguay would get through. Um, and then Argentina beat Ecuador 3-0. Rodrigo de Paul, Latour Martinez and Lionel Messi with the goals. Uh, so on they go as well. So again, I think Argentina, Colombia, certainly a, a tougher game than Brazil, Peru. Brazil very much taking the England route um, in, in this competition, having that, that home advantage as well. But a Brazil-Argentina final could be fun. Really, really could be fun. Brazil, obviously favourites to win this competition, but Argentina have Messi. And when you have Messi, you will always have a chance. You will always have an opportunity to win a game when you have Lionel Messi. And Lionel Messi, remember, has never won an international competition with Argentina. He won he won the Olympics with the under-23 team, but that's 13 years ago now. He's never won the Copa America. Argentina haven't won the Copa America in a long, long time now. And that's unacceptable for them. And it's unacceptable for his legacy as well. Their last Copa America was 1993. 1993, 28 years ago. Before that, they'd won it in 91. Before that, they hadn't won it since 59. But they have to, I think they have to win it this year. Because I don't think they'll get as good a chance again. Because in two years, Messi will be two years older. He may not play. Brazil, I think, are getting stronger. I think they've got immense talent developing. I don't see the same for Argentina. So I think the Argies, if they want to win it, I think now is the opportunity. Unfortunately for them, their manager is still doing mental things like playing Otamendi. So, you know, it is what it is. We will take a break at that when we come back. We've got news and we've got gossip. Right, welcome back. So, over the weekend, Crystal Palace confirmed Patrick Vieira is their new manager. He is signed, sealed, and delivered. Inexperienced manager. Manager coming off a sacking at Nice. A squad in desperate need of rebuilding. It's a big gamble for them. 
it really is a big gamble for them to go with someone as inexperienced. But they'd gotten all the way down to the wire with Nuno and with Lucien Favre and couldn't get either of them across the line. They've gotten Vieira across the line. Apparently, he was part of the original four-man list. Favre and Nuno were not part of that list. How true this is, I'm not sure, but I was told over the weekend the original four-man list was Vieira, Eddie Howe, Frank Lampard, and Sean Dyche. Dyche is the best manager of the three. Howe would have been the, I thought, more obvious choice. He's got experience of building a squad. A big part of why they wanted to make a change was that they wanted to change the style, move forward, you know, become a different type of club than one that plays Roy Hodgson's type football. But, look, it is what it is. They, they've they've got Vieira. Um, they can only hope he does really well. Looking at their squad at the moment, under contract, they currently have 18 players in total. Butland, Milivojevic, Tompkins, Koyate, Eu, Zaha, Schlup, MacArthur, Benteke, Ezi, Mitchell, Guaita, Jacques, who never plays, Kelly, always injured, Nathan Ferguson hasn't played yet because of injury, Riedewald, and Jacob Montaz, who I don't know, he's an American Nicaraguan player. Um, it's not an inspiring squad list. Uh, the, the, the 18th player they have under contract for next year is Mateta, who's on loan from Mines. So they've got 17 of their own players on loan. One of them doesn't have a squad number. Three of them have had serious injury problems. Um, Butland, I don't think he's played for them yet. There's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do for both Vieira and Doogie Friedman, the um, director of football. I hope Vieira does well. I've always liked Vieira. Incredible player. But as a manager, yet to see that he's... Yet to see that he's not trading on his name. Now, I think he's a better manager than Frank Lampard. I think he's shown that with Nice. Um, that he is better than Frank. But... That that's going to be tough. Like they're going to need seven, eight, maybe nine players in between now and the end of the transfer window. You wouldn't imagine they're going to have an enormous budget, which might might have been part of what put Nuno off, because Nuno would have would have wanted, you know, George Mendes involved in bringing in Mendes players, and those tend to be expensive in terms of fee and agent fee. So big job on. Fingers crossed it goes well. I like seeing Palace do well. Proper, proper club. Proper stadium. Proper set of fans. But, yeah, next season's going to be shaky for them. Next season will be shaky for them. Uh, there is some transfer news. Uh, Billy Gilmore has completed that loan to Norwich. Jack Harrison has completed his permanent deal to Leeds from Man City after three loans. Uh, Tom Heaton, obviously, to Manchester United is a done deal on a free. Talked about that on Friday. Leicester finally announced, announced Bubakari Samari. 17 million, apparently. Bargain. Absolute bargain. So they've got him and Pats and Daka for a combined 39 million. 
It's excellent business. We now wait and see if anyone is to leave. We know that over the last few years, Kante, Drinkwater, Mares, Maguire and Shaw, uh, not Shaw, Chilwell, have all left for big money to help you know, balance the books against incomings. So we'll wait and see if there's anyone to leave. Tielemans and Madison are the two obvious ones. Tielemans has been linked to a couple of clubs. Madison largely just to Arsenal. Could be an interesting one. Could be an interesting one to watch that that Madison one. Now, a lot of people will look at that and say, well, why would he trade Leicester for Arsenal? Leicester are a much better team. And they are. I mean, there's no doubt. Leicester are a better team. They're a much better run club. They've got a better manager. But Arsenal are still Arsenal. And whether people like it or not, certain clubs will always have pull. United will always have pull. Liverpool will always have pull. And Arsenal will always have pull. They also have the draw of London. And don't underestimate how much of an impact London has on people's mentalities. For footballers who make a lot of money from endorsements, being in a London club can open a lot of doors for you, make things an awful lot easier for you. So don't underestimate the draw of London. And don't underestimate the draw of Arsenal. Even with the clown show ownership, the PE teacher manager, and I don't know what you'd describe Edu as, but he's certainly not a competent director of football. Arsenal are still Arsenal and will always have draw. Always. Spurs don't have that level of draw. Chelsea without Roman's money don't have that level of draw. And Chelsea fans can say, oh, but, you know, back in the 90s, we signed this player. That You nearly went bankrupt. So settle down. And City, without that money, you're not a draw. You're just not a draw. Everton aren't a draw. You're not a draw. People aren't moving from overseas to those northern cities unless they've got serious bank behind them. United and Liverpool are the the exceptions to that rule. Players will join them because of who they are as clubs. Without the money, City don't have that draw. Arsenal have to draw. And Madison would be making a move for the good of his career to go to Arsenal. In the short term, yeah, step back in terms of quality around you. You're still going to get to play with Emile Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka, two of the best young players in the country, two absolutely dynamite players. And that as a, as a three behind a, as a front man would be sensational. If that front, front man is Aubameyang and he's in form and he's motivated, that's a great front four. Thomas Partey behind. He's a top-class midfielder. They need to figure out who goes next to him. They need to figure out the situation in defence because it, does, it doesn't look pretty at the moment. They're about to spend a lot of money on Ben White by the looks of things. I think, I think that's a bad move. It looks like Saliba will go on loan. Now, there were some rumours that there was a £10 million option to buy in that loan deal to Marseille. That's been dismissed by a few people. If it was true, that's sackable for Edu. Because he's the guy that spent nearly 30 million on him. Made a big deal. We got him over over Spurs. We got him over Spurs. Maybe he didn't do that. No, I don't think he did that. That was the other guy. Raul Sanelli. That was him, wasn't it? Either way, to sell to, to give an option to buy for 10 million will be will be criminal. 
But it looks like that's not true. It looks like it will just be a straight loan and then he'll come back. Um, but he, I would rather have him than Ben White. White might be a little bit better now, but Saliba's three or four years younger and with a lot more development time ahead of him. Um, Liverpool have sold Polish goalkeeper uh, Camille Grabara to Copenhagen for about three million. Shame to see him go. Very talented young keeper, but obviously they've probably included, they've definitely included a sell-on that's been announced. I'd imagine they've included a buyback. They normally do. Big, big talent. Hopefully, hopefully he goes on to have a good career. Um, Emiliano Marcondes, who played for Brentford in their playoff run, has left the club and joined Bournemouth on a free. A little bit surprised that Brentford didn't do more to keep him, but such is life. Um, Mario Vranjic of Norwich helped them come up. He's gone to Stoke on a free. Good signing for Stoke. I think he'll do well there. And then the big news of the weekend, transfer-wise, Wolves securing a, a loan with an option to buy for £20 million for Francisco Trincao, the young Portuguese winger from Barcelona. Barca paid about £28 million for him 18 months ago. Didn't have a great season with Barca, but did work his way into the starting eleven for a time and you know at least getting regular minutes off the bench towards the end of the year. I think it's a really bad move for Barca, but they're trying to clear salary desperately, trying to bring in money. I think Wolves would be mental not to take up that option. Even if he doesn't have a great season, buy him because it'll be cheap. Develop him for a couple of years. You will make your money back at the very least. But having him on one wing and when he returns from injury, Neto on the other, those two boys were together at Braga when they were younger players. And... They played for Braga B for a season. Trinkiau one wing, Neto the other, and they were phenomenal. Bruno Lage plays a 4-4-2 as his base system. Now, he has played 4-2-3-1, and he may play 4-2-3-1 given the personnel at Wolves. But it could be really interesting to see him go 4-4-2 with the players he has now. Semedo will be the right back. We know that. It looks like they're going to pay $10 million plus some add-ons to bring in Ray and Nuri, who they had on loan. They didn't take up their option to buy. They renegotiated a slightly lower fee with more add-ons. So it looks like that's going to happen. He'll be the left-back, you'd imagine. Connor Cody's not a particularly good defender. Everybody's aware of that. He doesn't really do well in the back four, but... When Lange was at Benfica, he used Ferro, who's a much better defender than Cody, as a ball player from the back. He used to ping long balls here and there. And it was a big part of how his team would build. The one thing Connor Cody can do is ping a long ball. So it will be interesting to see what he does there if he uses Cody like that. Now, I think there's a chance that over the next 12 months, Connor Cody gets replaced. I don't think Wolves would be against the idea of selling Cody if they could find a buyer because he doesn't really work in a back four. And even in a back three where he does work, he's still not that good. I know he's the captain, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. Easily replaceable on the field. They definitely need a partner for him regardless. Woody Ball, he's just not fit for purpose. Kilman looked good in spells last year, but still raw, still young. Still error-prone, may not quite be Premier League calibre as a starter, but can be a good squad player. 
If they keep Ruben Neves, and that's an if because there's obviously talk that they're willing to do a deal for him at the right price. But if they keep Neves, then Neves and then Donker as a midfield too is really interesting with Trinkio on the right and Neto on the left. And then up front, Jimenez will be back. They could play him with Fabio Silva, but I think a more interesting partnership would be with Adama Traore. Now, again, there's talk that he could leave, but where's the, where's the market for him? Where are the bids coming from for Adama Traore this summer? Wolves will have an, ex, an expected price, like they do for Neves, like they probably do for Cody. And at the moment, I don't see anybody paying it for Adama. Maybe for Neves, maybe for Cody. I think someone will get fooled into buying Cody an English centre-back who can play it from the back. You'll find, you'll find a sucker. Neves is obviously a very good player, his passing range, ability to dictate play. He didn't have a great season, but we've seen him have good seasons in the two previous ones. But Adama had a particularly poor season. And Adama has been tagged, fairly or unfairly, as a one-trick pony. So I'm not sure who will be willing to take a chance and pay big money to bring in Adama Traore at this point. Maybe in a year when his value drops because he'd only have a year left on his contract. But if I was Bruno Lage, I'd at least consider trying Adama through the middle next to, next to Jimenez if you want to go two up front. If you don't, if you want to go 4-2-3-1, you obviously play Adama on the right, you can play Trinkio as a 10, Neto on the left, or Neto as the 10, Trinkio on the, on the left. Um, you can play Pedence as your ten if, if you know if and when he's fit. Um, they have options there, but I would like to see Adama and Jimenez as a two. Nuno tried it a couple of times, two seasons ago maybe, and it worked really well. And Adama terrorised centre backs. His fullbacks are generally quick by nature. It's why part of why they play fullback. Centre backs tend to be a little bit slower. And Adama has the physicality to deal with the kind of the brutishness of Premier League centre-backs. But then he has the pace to absolutely annihilate them. So I'd like to see that. I think that could be interesting. Southampton have completed the signing of Roman Parod from Brest. Uh, I think it's nine million with add-ons they've paid. Could be a little bit more. Attacking left-back... Um, Three goals, seven assists last season in 36 league games. Defensively, a little bit suspect, but he is still young. He's only 23. He'll be 24 in September. He fits in timeline-wise with, I think, what they're looking to build there at Southampton. You look at Kyle Walker-Peters um, at right back. He's just gone 24. Uh, at centre-back, you'd imagine it'll be Bednarak will be one. He's uh, just gone 25. Um, and probably Salisu as the other one, and Salisu's just 22. Now, they obviously still have Vestergaard, and I do wonder if maybe there's the possibility for them to go with a back three. Vestergaard in the middle, Salisu left, Bednarak right, and then Walker-Peters and Perot as, as wing-backs. That might fit them better. Now, I don't know if Ralph Hasenhutl would be willing to play a back three. It's not something he's done at Southampton. Uh, regularly anyway. He, he's, he's done it a few times, I think, but not regularly. 
they're probably hoping that someone will get foolish after these Euros and give them a big bid for Vestergaard, who over the last couple of games has been very good for the Danes. But this signing fits in with what's a long-term back four of Walker, Peters, Bednarak, Salisu and him. And that's that's promising. You know, Then they've got young Diallo that they brought in last summer in central midfield. Um, I'd, I'd imagine we'll see another central midfielder come in. Another thing they need to do, though, they need to get some depth at fullback. They desperately need to get some depth at fullback because they don't have a backup right back or a backup left back. So when either one goes out, you're talking about centre backs playing there. And look, they'll do a job defensively, but it, it kills how Ralph wants to play it. It takes them out of the attacking side of the game. Completely. So I'd imagine that's something they'll look to address. That's pretty much it in terms of news and transfers from over the weekend. So we will wrap up with our gossip. Um, Barcelona are willing to release Miralem Pjanic and Samuel Mtiti for their contracts as neither player fits into manager Ronald Koeman's plans. I would say it's much more a case that they don't fit into the budget and that Koeman has been told you can't play them, especially Umtiti, who Barca have been trying to sell for a couple of years. But unfortunately for them, before he started to suffer from a lot of injury problems, he was one of the better centre-backs in Europe and they gave him a massive contract. Massive. So he's happy to sit there and collect his cheque. Last season, he played 13 games in La Liga, 16 in all competitions. I mean, he's the best centre-back at the club by a considerable margin. He should be starting for them. Instead, they've got Clement Langley, who's awful. Um, Pjanic is the interesting one here, obviously, because last summer they swapped him for Artur, who went to Barcelona. Um, For the purpose of accounting... They marked it down as a £60 million transfer and Arthur was marked down as a £72 million transfer. Now, nobody in their right minds believed that either player was worth close to that. Arthur is a talented player but hadn't exactly set the world alight for Barcelona. And Pjanic, really good player, but he was 30. Nobody's paying £60 million for a 30-year-old Miralem Pjanic with, what, one, two years left in his contract? Now, I think if they release both of them, Umtiti will have offers because he's very, very good, but clubs will be concerned about the injuries. Pjanic will have a ton of offers because he can run a game for pretty much anybody. Uh, He has been linked with Spurs. Not sure he makes a whole ton of sense for them under Nuno. I know Nuno played Moutinho and Neves, so in theory he could try and go with Heusberg and Pjanic. But I think, well, maybe. The best time Pjanic had at Juve was next to Emre Chan. That was his best partner at Juve. So maybe Borussia Dortmund would have interest. Bring him in, play him next to Emre in midfield. Heusberg can do an Emre impersonation. He doesn't have Emre's drive. He's a very good player. 
I, I don't think Spurs is the ideal fit for him. I think back to Italy, maybe back to Juve. Allegri's back. He loved him. He was the one that insisted on buying him. So maybe. Uh, Chelsea could attempt to upstage Arsenal with a late bid for Brighton's 23-year-old England defender, Ben White. That's from the Transfer Window podcast. That's McGarry and the other fella. No, no, we're, we're taking none of that. But hopefully, hopefully they do. Because, you know, anytime a, a top team wants to waste their money, it gives me something to laugh about. Uh, Tottenham and Barcelona are interested in Lorenzo Insigne. And here's the key part. With the 30-year-old yet to sign an extension to his contract that runs until 2022. This is his agent putting word out in the Italian media. Let's try and get a contract sorted. He's not going to go to Barca because they've got no money. And I really doubt Tottenham are interested in him. Considering they've got young son who plays on the left of the front three. The same place that Insigne would play. Uh, Barca will now accept less for Phil Coutinho than they paid in add-ons to Liverpool when the 29-year-old joined the La Liga side as his value continues to drop. If I was Milan or somebody like that, I would make a cheeky offer of a loan with an option to buy in 12 months for £30 million. Um, Milan are believed to be interested. I, I, think, it's, I think it's possible. Uh, a summer transfer move for Eduardo Camavinga seems inevitable as the 18-year-old has cut off contract talks with Ren. Uh, the club are yet to receive an offer for the teenager. Manchester United are planning further talks with Ren about a move for Camavinga. They face competition from everybody. Now, the spoofer with the catchphrase, in case you were wondering what it was he would do, he would do to fill his days and, you know, get those likes and retweets now that he he's had to stop lying to United fans about the Sancho deal. He didn't really know anything about. He just stole the info from other journalists. Well, what he's decided to do is tell them lies about Rafa Varane, lies about Eduardo Camavinga, and, you know, whatever else he comes up with, he'll come out as well. About a week ago, Mohamed Bouhafsa, who's one of the better journalists for French football, reported that United had interest in Camavinga, He's got great contacts at French clubs. I would imagine he got told by Ren, look, put this out, we'll sort you out later on with some sort of exclusive or an interview or whatever. He's put that information out there, I believe, to get PSG to bite and jump in and grab Camavinga at a price that Ren feel is acceptable. The spoofer came out yesterday and said, Ren will sell for 30 million euros. Ren themselves have already said the price is 100 million euro. Now, Get French Football News contacted Ren today and said that when they put that fee to them, they were laughed at. Laughed at. Which will tell you how much insight the spoofer really has. Laughably little. Um, moving on. United would consider sending David De Gea out on loan this summer. That's fine, but as long as they're aware they will have to pay about 70% of his wages, there should be no problem there. Cristiano Ronaldo's agent, George Mendes, is working on extending his contract at Juventus by one year, which would tie him down to the Serie A side till 2023. I would be surprised if Juve did that, because all the word is they want rid of him. 
So why would they keep him for a year longer? All the word is they want rid of him. So, I don't know. Uh, United are preparing to offer Luke Shaw a new contract. Yep, seems fair. He had a very, very good season. He has carried that form into the Euros, to be fair to him. Uh, his current contract runs out in 2023. It's crazy to think he's already been at United for seven years and he's only 25. Uh, he'll be 26 this day next week. Um, but yeah, Luke Shaw, is, he's earned that new contract. Didn't look like he would at one point because um, his United career was not going well. Uh, James Rodriguez faces an uncertain future at Everton following the, the appointment of Rafa Benitez. Yeah, of course, he doesn't work hard off the ball and Rafa insists on that. Tottenham are prepared to let Toby Alderweireld leave the club this summer and are looking to sign two centre-backs as part of a defensive overhaul. Now, that is from Alistair Gold, and that makes it gospel. As far as I'm concerned, there's nobody better for Spurs than Alistair Gold. He is the best in the business um, when it comes to Tottenham. And if he says that's the case, I fully believe it. Brighton goalkeeper Matt Ryan is close to signing for Real Sociedad after an undisclosed fee was agreed with the twenty-nine. was agreed for the twenty-nine-year-old Australian shot stopper. Um, strange one. Strange one. I wouldn't have expected him to go there. I know Celtic were keen on him because he's got history with their new manager. I wouldn't have thought he would have gone to Sociedad because they're not exactly lacking in terms of a goalkeeper. Alex Romero is very, very good. And Miguel Moya is a he's a quality backup. Um, now, he is 37, to be fair. I didn't realize he was so old. So, yeah, I mean, Ryan goes there as backup. Makes sense. Uh, but he needn't have any notions that he will be first choice. Romero is entrenched. Romero should be in the Spanish squad. He he should be in the Spanish squad. He is a very, very good goalkeeper. He was at Bilbao um, when Kepa left. It was actually him who took over as first choice. And then he lost his spot to Unai Simon, who's now the Spanish number one. Um, but he is a very, very good goalkeeper. He is one I do like. Uh, former Newcastle defender Steve Howey says the club must sign Joe Willock or risk being priced out of a move further down the line. Must sign him now or risk being priced out of a move further down the line. Makes sense. Uh, Man City's French left-back Benjamin Mendy is reported into Milan's shortlist this summer. Into Milan have no money. So, no, that's not true at all. Um, Sevilla and France defender Jules Koundé is an alternative for Manchester United should they fail to land Rafael Varane. His buyout is 81 million. They're not spending that. They'd have to pay it all up front. And Junior Firpo is close to completing a deal to Leeds. We've been waiting on that one to get completed for a few days now. Um, Paris Saint-Germain have offered a contract to Lionel Messi, who is a free agent after his Barcelona deal expired. However, the La Liga side remain hopeful of tying him down. There's been a few people said a two-year deal is agreed. I think I've said before, I'd let him go. I think it might just be time to move on. Um, Manchester United are willing to let Donny van de Beek leave the club this summer amid interest from Real Madrid, 
who want to take him on loan. So last summer, he thought he was going to Real. And then when that fell apart, that's how he ended up at United because he got desperate, the club were desperate to sign somebody and a move just made sense for everybody. Um, I don't think United will let him leave on loan. I'd be surprised after a year, but maybe he didn't play much last season. Liverpool are interested in Lille and Portugal midfielder Renato Sanchez, but could face competition from Arsenal were they to pursue, pursue the former Bayern Munich midfielder. He makes sense for Liverpool. I don't think he makes sense for Arsenal. I don't think him and Thomas Partey as a pair would make a whole bunch of sense. You'd be asking Partey to become a sitting midfielder, which is not his game. Arsenal are ready to consider a move for Sam Johnston of West Brom. If a deal for Aaron Ramsdale... They, they know they can buy goalkeepers that aren't terrible, though. Like, surely someone has said, lads... You're allowed to sign someone who's not one of the worst goalkeepers in the league. You can look outside the league. Sam Johnson's better than Ramsdale, but not by a whole bunch. Max Allegri has informed Juventus of his desire to re-sign Paul Pogba. 90minute.com, I mean, spoofers galore. Would you be surprised at anything they come up with? This is just regurgitation of nonsense. Um, that we've been reading now for five years about Juventus wanting to re-sign him. There's been no suggestion that they want to re-sign him from the Italian side at all. Hakim Ziyech is wanted by AC Milan, who view Chelsea's 28-year-old playmaker as a more attainable option than James Rodriguez, given the Colombians' wage demands. And obviously, you know, there's the Coutinho option as well. I, I would take Coutinho over Ziyech or James personally. Uh, Martin Odegaard has confirmed he will not be returning to Arsenal. Yeah, he was, he's going to stay at Real Madrid. He was always going to stay at Real as long as Zidane left. Zidane was the thing that was blocking him from getting an opportunity at Real. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Czech Republic striker Patrick Schick is wanted by AC Milan. I would love to see Schick just stay somewhere for another year. So stay at Leverkusen for another year. That's what I want to see him do. Because he's had too much movement in his career so far. I mean, the fellow's only 25. He played for Sparta Prague. He was loaned to Bohemians 1905. Moved to Sampdoria, moved to Roma, went to Leipzig on loan and now Leverkusen. That's six clubs by 25. The only club where he's actually played for two years was Roma. He played 10 games across two seasons for Sparta Prague, but he only came into the team late in the 13, the, the squad rather late in the 13 14 season. And he was just like an end of the bench option um, in 14 15. But stay somewhere. Get used to playing with your teammates, don't always be on the move. I know Milan will be attractive. He loved his time in Italy by all accounts. But stick with Leverkusen for at least another year. It's an exciting team at Leverkusen. Like there's a good manager in the door now in, in Sione. And the squad has exciting attacking talent. Like Leon Bailey, Paulinho, Musa Diaby. These are fun players. That you should want to play with. 
Florian Wirtz is a really, really talented player that you should want to play with for as long as you can. Uh, I really like Ezekiel Palacios there as well. I really like Kareem Demerbe. He lost his place last season, but he's obviously a very good player. Stick where you are. Develop a little bit. And in a year, if, if those moves are there now and they're real, they'll be there in a year if you're that good. Uh, Inter Milan have open talks with Denzel Dumfries' agent in the hope of wrapping up a deal for the 25-year-old PSV and Netherlands wing-back. If that rumoured buyout at $12 million is true, then it makes sense for them because it's one they probably can afford, unlike the Mendy nonsense who'd cost you know $30 million minimum. Um, Tottenham remain interested in Dusan Vlahovic, but the Serbian Ford is focused on renewing his contract with the Serie A club. I would imagine Tottenham's interest is solely if Harry Kane goes. I can't imagine they want him otherwise because you can't play the two of them together. Arsenal's French midfielder Matteo Guendouzi is closing in on a move to Marseille with the Ligue 1 club also set to complete a deal for William Saliba. Marseille are making moves this summer. They're being very, very aggressive in the transfer market, which is it's good to see. Um, I wouldn't be keen on some of the signings they've made. Let's just say that. Um, Cheng is under and on loans, an interesting one. Um, they've made the Bellardi deal permanent. I think they got him cheaper than they were expecting to. Uh, they did that over the weekend after I'd signed him for Wolves in, in the thing I did the other day. Um, Conrad De La Fuente is an interesting one, bringing him in for Barcelona. They're bringing in... Is it Paulo Lopez? Is that the, the Spanish keeper? Yeah, Paulo Lopez from Roma. And then the two French boys from Arsenal. Oh, they're strengthening the squad throughout. They need to sort out Bubakar Camara's contract, though. That's going to be the next big thing for them. Uh, Real Sociedad failed with a late bid to sign... Nuno Tavares, who's on his way to Arsenal. Uh, uh, Sheffield United manager Slavisa Jakanovic says he will try to convince Sander Berger to stay with the Blades. He'll run amok in the Championship. He really will run amok in the Championship. He will be the best player in the Championship next season if he stays. And um, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be any real interest. He's been linked with Arsenal, but they're signing Laconga from Anderlecht, so that's not going to happen. Tony Cruz, who is retired from international football, says he expects to end his career with Real Madrid. His current contract runs until 2023. Uh, yeah, I mean, fair. Why not? You might as well. Biggest club around. Um, finally, then, the last bit of transfer gossip. Liverpool are weighing up a move for Atletico Madrid. Saul with the Spaniard keen on the idea of playing in the Premier League this is from uh, I don't, it, it, you know, if there was such a thing as tiered sources, no, there's not that, when you see someone say oh he's tier one, nonsense, there's no such thing as tiered sources, it's all nonsense however if there was such a thing I would imagine La Raison is probably like tier 15 I mean they're probably the type that if they said it was raining you'd want to go outside and check yourself but I'm prepared to buy fully into this. I am prepared to believe in this 100%. I'm prepared to be hurt on this because I love Seoul. I think he is 
as complete a midfielder as there is in the world. I think he's incredible. I think he's one of the very best midfielders in the world, and I would love to see him at Liverpool. And as a replacement for Wijnaldum, like if you consider Liverpool's midfield under Klopp, Henderson, Fabinho, Wijnaldum was the three. Henderson played on the right. He was the one that had most of the ball, played the most advanced role, had less defensive responsibility than the other two, uh, was more involved in the build-up play and, you know, trying to be a, a conduit for the ball. Fabinho's then the defensive midfielder. And Ginny Wijnaldum, Ginny Wijnaldum played the in-between role, more defensive than attacking because of how Liverpool set up and because of how advanced the fullbacks played. That would often become almost a double pivot with Fabinho tasked with covering the right side and Ginny tasked with covering the left side. Henderson free to be a bit more attack-minded, act as an outball for the attack if things broke down, recycle things, etc. Now, Thiago has taken that role. That's now Thiago's role. Fabinho's still there. So they need a Wijnaldum replacement is what they need. And I, I think Saul is perfect. I think you put him next to Fabinho. Defensively, you go up multiple levels. He's a really good passer of the ball. He can carry the ball. Ignore the metrics from Atletico Madrid because Simeone's midfield setup puts midfielders in a very small box and they're never, ever going to have good metrics. But he is world-class. Uh, I am prepared to be hurt by that, without doubt. And I think that's it. I think that is everything for today. So, thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks to Guy Drinkle and thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Take care of yourselves. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.